Welcome to episode 15 of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and action. I am your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And instead of our producer, Noah Gray, today we have Jeff Bunting, our Hi. director of global operations. Hi, Jeff. Hey. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for letting me be on it. You want to tell us a little bit about what it means to be the director of global operations at Uncharted International? I'm still trying to figure that out, actually. <laughs> he operates the globe. Uh, I have a responsibilities in a couple of different areas, uh, one being overseeing operations. And so everything from uh, working with our accountants on taxes and finances and things like that, uh, to also overseeing, uh, helping oversee a lot of the work that we do internationally. And so anything we do in another country, uh, I'm a part of that along with Ben and oftentimes others. Mm -hmm. So it's going to make sense in a second here why we had uh, you, Jeff, join us for this particular topic, because over the last couple of years, your your job, your focus really has focused a lot more on our, our work globally. And so uh, it'll be great to have your voice uh, in the topic that we're going to be looking at today. But before we get to that, we, uh, we've missed a couple of weeks we have. of the the Ben Stewart icebreaker question. It's been so, a little serious. Typically, Jeff, times. just so you know, before we dive into serious conversations, we like to have a an icebreaker question. I know how much everybody on our staff loves my my questions. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of thought into this one today. And knowing that we are talking about, you know, other countries and cultures and things of that nature. I mean, that's just kind of who we are as an organization. I also know people love talking about movies. And so I was trying to think of a question that could blend the two. And so I started thinking about other movies that take place in other cultures. And my mind immediately went to the cartoon version of Aladdin. Okay. And so that's where I'm at right mm -hmm. now. And the question that I have for us today is what character do you most resonate with in Aladdin? In Aladdin specifically. In Aladdin specifically. Yep. What character do you most resonate with and why? Hmm. And maybe it's a particular scene. You know, maybe there's like this moment that Abu has and you're just like, that's that's my life right there. Or, or the, you know, so on and so how, forth. How recently have you watched Aladdin? I have not seen it in years, to be <laughs> totally honest. I did watch the the live version on an airplane. I also watched that on an airplane. Like, yeah. Um, this question presupposes that we have some memory of that movie. Oh, you know, you sing the songs every morning, Jeff Bunting. I know. <laughs> A whole new world. Man, I don't know. I don't know if I resonate her, but Jasmine was always one of my favorites as a kid. Okay. I had I had like the shoes. That oh, curl up like nice. the costume shoes. I was really, I was really into like cool princess characters that yep. were like pretty tough. Yep. And like no nonsense. Like yep. not so much Cinderella, but right. definitely a Jasmine. Did you did you ever dress up as Jasmine for Halloween? No, I didn't. Okay. But I wore but the, you shoes. Didn't have the shoes. I just wore the shoes in like everyday life. Yeah. Did you yeah. wear them to school? Probably. <laughs> I also had a like the tiger yeah. stuffed animal. So I was kind yeah. of all in. Okay. So so tough princess like that's what yeah. you that's what you identify with yeah in that for, movie. for sure yeah yeah okay jeff well, that sounds like a great answer and that just reminds me how much more cultured uh, emily is than me <laughs> because <laughs> though i'm confident i've probably seen that movie uh, i was most likely 10 years old and have not seen it since and i don't know a single character oh 
or the plot. You are not allowed to cop or out of this anything else. Question. You, you have, keep, have you, you not watched it with your daughter? I haven't. I've been watching Trolls 13 times in the last two days <laughs> and lots of uh, Frozen. Are, are you trying to weasel your way out of an answer, Jeff? You know, I, I would love I to have like a really great to. answer, but I just, uh, I don't. Let's pick one for Jeff right now. Hmm. That's scary. This is the penalty for not having an answer. We're okay. going to place one on you. Mm, this is hard because I feel like I'm trying to think of someone who's like capable and organized and that is not anybody in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think Maybe I think the ben- carpet. I think beneath it all, I, I, I sense a little Jafar at times. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I would say for me, I I reson- I wish the answer could be, you know, Aladdin or even the genie at times, but I feel like my life is probably better represented with what's the name of the bird? The Iago. Iago. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like that's really what my true life is is more actually like. So you do you wanna like get into that, unpack that a little that's bit? That's probably an episode of a of a different sort. <laughs> um <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the executive director of Uncharted <laughs> speaking. And he identifies as the villain's sidekick, not not the villain, <laughs> the sidekick. Just like I, I think what it is, is he always just seems to be, you know, screaming and there's just <laughs> tension and anxiety. And that's just what Love the last snacks. couple of. That actually is very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm one of the good guys and you guys are both villains. So <laughs> that's cool. Okay. All these details. Emily has seen this in the last week, I think. <laughs> I may or may not own the movie on DVD, actually. Jeff, are you telling me that your daughter, Emily, has not seen this movie at all? Not to my knowledge. Okay. I feel like we have some parenting conversations that need to take place. But all right. That Well, you guys, thanks for... Thanks for entertaining my uh, my question there. I know that that puts you on the spot, but let's admit it. We all enjoy those. So. <laughs> mm, we'll see. <laughs> the Great Commission is pretty clear about going into all nations and making disciples of all people. And in the times of modern missions, it's comparatively really easy to actually go to the nations global pandemic barring international travel aside, there are countries where it's as easy as just applying for a missionary visa. But that's not possible everywhere. Many governments restrict church activities or prohibit evangelism or proselytizing, and many cultures are hostile to Christian missions. A missionary's presence in a closed country can be illegal and can be life-threatening. Martyrdom may feel like a historical term, like something that just doesn't happen anymore, but Christians are still being killed for their faith. This doesn't mean that these nations are unreachable, even if they appear to be inaccessible. Closed to evangelism does not mean closed to the gospel. Even without missionary presence, there are stories of people coming to Christ in places where the gospel is not taught, but we're still called to go there, and there are opportunities for missions even in the most difficult situations. So, how do people and organizations have effective and safe missions practices in closed or hostile countries? Do missionaries actually increase danger for local believers? And when is it okay for Christians to lie or break the law for the sake of gospel access? 
So today we are talking about creative access countries or closed countries and doing missions in them. And that is one of the reasons why, Jeff, we wanted to have you on the on the show this episode. Because as somebody who's been at Uncharted the longest and does global operations, you're probably the most knowledgeable about Uncharted's history in working in closed countries and, you know, what we're what we're doing now actively. But before maybe we start talking about that, maybe we can define what we mean when we say closed or creative access. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you included both of those phrases. I think for a lot of people, the term closed country uh, is one that's that's more familiar. It's an older term. And as you said, it's just a short way of expressing that overt missionary work or Christian work is against the law or is dangerous. And people would say it's closed because you can't show up and say, hey, we're here to tell people about Jesus and then have that go well. It's just mm-hmm. not going to work. Uh, but no country, again, as you just said, no country is really closed to the gospel because God's always pursuing the hearts of people. And no government regulation can stop that. But they can make it difficult for Christian workers to be there and to serve, especially if uh, they are coming in from the outside and so that's where the term creative access comes in. Literally, people have to be creative about how they're accessing that the country or the location uh, in order to do gospel-focused, disciple-making, church planning work there. And so you, you have to be creative. And oftentimes that means that rather than showing up at the airport with a T-shirt that says missionary <laughs> or trying to get a, a visa that says missionary on it, you're finding another, I would say, legitimate reason to be there. And so you're going uh, to contribute to society. And, and as you do that, as you do whatever else you're doing, you're living your life as a follower of Jesus, and you're very intentionally building relationships with people and doing work that advances the kingdom of God in that place. So that, that that's a great response, and there's some good descriptors in there when we talk about the idea of closed or creative access. So for the sake of our conversation today, we'll probably predominantly use that phrase creative access just to summarize, when when listeners hear that phrase, creative access, what are what are two or three key words that they should keep in mind when we say creative access? What are we talking about? So you had a really full, great uh, response there, Jeff, but how would you summarize maybe one or two? And Emily, feel free to add your thoughts. What are one or two key phrases or words people should keep in mind? I think one thing that is referenced a lot when they talk about creative access missions is the term platform. Um, and that is kind of just what you're saying, Jeff, you know, having a, leg- a quote unquote legitimate reason to go into a country. So like a, a humanitarian platform is some sort of outreach or aid program that is an excuse for people to go into a country. So when we talk about creative access and, and, how Uncharted works in, in Central Asia specifically, we have a humanitarian platform that lets us, that provides a legitimate reason for, for us to go and be present there. So to summarize that, when we, when we talk about creative access, what you're saying, Emily, a good point is that typically in order to be in a creative access context, whether it's a country or a people group, you have to have some some reason for being there uh, again beyond like what Jeff was saying earlier than just showing up as a quote unquote missionary. I mean, I like the idea of having t-shirts that say missionary on them. <laughs> and if we could do that for our next trip, I think that would be great. I think, I think Noah would agree to, to make those for us, um, especially in neon colors. Jeff, what else would you say? So it's a, it's a type of place where you have to have some sort of 
legitimate reason for being there, whether it's humanitarian, business, economic, educational, but how else would you summarize what is a creative access? You know, a word I would say is typically dangerous in some way. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was thinking also. I, yeah. mean, I, I don't know that that's true every single time, right. but typically when you talk about creative access places, the security question is a yep. big one. And so whether that's from government policies and police that might arrest you and throw you in jail for doing uh, Christian work or maybe even being a Christian in that location, uh, sometimes I think the security risk comes from um, from others, from from militant groups or things like that, that uh, really aren't very excited about that type of work happening. So there's a, just to get it out of the way in case we use it later in the podcast, there's a very uh, Christianese, even missions term that is oftentimes used in association when talking about creative access, the word proselytize. Um, can you can you just give us a super basic understanding of what's the word proselytize and why is that like oftentimes you hear that a, a place is a creative access because it's illegal to proselytize. What does that even mean? Yeah, it, typically I think that that term has a negative connotation yep. when it's used, but in short for our conversation today, it basically means you know, sharing about your faith in such a way that you're hoping the person you're talking to will will agree with you. And so in this case, the, the person we're talking to who may follow some other faith background, may have no faith, um, that they're going to choose to follow Jesus. Yeah. And that's, you know, really frowned upon some places. Not only frowned upon, it's it's against the law, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. And I think that's an important distinction for Uncharted because there's some places where we work that are difficult in terms of people responding to the to the hope and the good news of Jesus, but it's not necessarily illegal for us to engage in sharing the the, the good news of Jesus. That's right. So that's different than a creative access. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. It's just difficult for different reasons versus countries that we're talking about today that are creative access that it's not only difficult, uh, but it's also there, there's some danger to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. So when it comes to why Uncharted wants to be in creative access countries, it I mean, we've already talked about it's potentially dangerous. It's really difficult. It's hard sometimes to get there. Sometimes may involve slight dishonesty in terms of tourist visas and stuff like that. So why does Uncharted, you know, we have presence here, but we're also actively looking to expand into other creative access countries. So why specifically these kinds of places? I think that's a great question. And honestly, that's that's a question that I've gotten in different ways uh, over the years from a lot of very well-meaning friends and family members who are like, why why would you go to someplace like this? You know, they don't want you there to begin with. Um, it's dangerous. It's hard. Um, you know, why do that sort of thing? And uh, I think for me and for us, there there are a few reasons behind it. And one, it, it's rooted in scripture to, to go to the places where Christ is not known. And um, that's something that each of us is called to participate in, in in one way or another. And just looking at it statistically, a little less than 3 billion people in the world are considered unreached. And even though there are, are missionaries being sent out, there's missions work taking place in different places, um, around 90% of that work takes place actually among people who are reached, in part because going to the people who are unreached, and especially in creative access places, is really hard, and not a lot of people do it. And so around 90% of missions work takes place among people who are reached, even with this reality that almost 3 billion people are unreached. 
And the disparity is even, even more stark if you look at the dollars that are actually spent on missions. And so around 99% of missions dollars are spent among people who are already reached. And that doesn't mean they're all believers, but it means that there is a, a significant presence of the gospel among those people and in those communities. And so only around 1% of the dollars around the world that are spent on missions is actually spent among that, that 2.9 billion people who are considered unreached. And so I think for us, um, our heart is for hard places. Our, our heart is to go into the places where they're, they're, by definition, there aren't a lot of other people going. And that's really what, what drives us. That's good. So there's been some examples of that in the history of Uncharted. And I think like Emily pointed out that you are sort of our resident historian when it comes to the deep, long history of Uncharted all the way 10 years ago. Um, maybe share a little bit about um, Myanmar, a little bit about even just some of the past places where we've had a presence that we no longer do. And, and I think that's also important to acknowledge um, is that there's there's a time and a season for everything. But let's just start with Myanmar. Um, why is that an example? Why was that? Why is that an example of a closed country? And just maybe a very brief snapshot of what some of the work has looked like there. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've listened to the news much lately, <laughs> but um, <laughs> Myanmar's a little bit of a mess right now. A little bit. And uh, interestingly, that that's kind of history repeating itself. Yep. And so... Um, for most of uh, a period of about 60 years, Myanmar was under a pretty ruthless military dictatorship. And it was actually during that time that Uncharted first got involved. That was around 25 years ago. And so it was at that time very much a creative access country. And then uh, starting about 10 years ago, as they were on a path towards democratization, things opened up and it became a lot easier to do Christian work there. Um, don't know that you could get a, a missionary visa, but we didn't have to be secret. Uh, about what we were doing. And then since um, just earlier this year, uh, things have really taken a turn. And so it's gone from creative access country to things are really opening up in a, in a lot of places. And we can be pretty public and our, our local uh, friends and, and workers can be pretty open with what they're doing to all of a sudden they're living in fear. And uh, even something as simple as giving some rice to a neighbor who's literally starving uh, can get you arrested. And so you know, we're talking about creative access. That's mm -hmm. that's about as creative as you can get mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, how to even live effectively as a believer and share your faith mm -hmm. effectively as, as a believer in that sort of an environment where your very safety for, you know, just giving food to a starving person uh, can create a, a, a significant danger for you. I think one of the interesting things about Myanmar right now, too, that fits within this creative access conversation is typically when we think about creative access countries, we think about foreigners or expats trying to find creative ways or creative access into a, a place that's not their own culture and nation. In the case of Myanmar right now, what's been really interesting is watching our national, our Myanmar brothers and sisters having to themselves try to be uh, creative in the ways that they live out the gospel to your point about even simple but profound things like handing out bags of rice you know that in their own culture and context they have to think in the same ways that maybe a foreigner would have to normally in a situation that's right historically there have been laws on the books and and in some places enforced pretty strictly against we talked about proselytizing earlier it's okay to be a Christian, but uh, to convert or especially to convert someone, 
uh, is illegal and you can be punished for it. And so whenever our pastors and church planners that we work with would be walking with someone through the process of being discipled and becoming a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. and that person would be, bapti- would be baptized, um, they wouldn't call it baptism. They all knew what they were doing, but they would refer to it uh, as going swimming because, well, mm. everybody can go <laughs> swimming. And it was just sort of a code for anybody who's who's in the circle knows what that means. Mm. And they would celebrate that, hey, we had three people who went swimming today. It's incredible. Mm. Um, mm. I think similar terminology is used in other places, too. But it's just what you're talking about. It's people who they've lived there their entire lives, but they have to think creatively and um, be very intentional about even the language they use and how they relate to their neighbors. Mm. And that doesn't make them shy away from doing what they feel God has called them to do, but it makes them be very intentional about how they go about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to see because as Myanmar has become more open and then now closed again, how like social media and communication mm-hmm. has, has impacted that because, you know, 25 years ago, Facebook wasn't a thing and there wasn't this sort of, uh, access to mass communication like there is now and now that things are closing again or becoming more dangerous or, or reverting back it's interesting to see how how people ad- adapt with it while still wanting to share and talk to people and communicate overseas especially and there's kind of a new element of of fear because b- before you just how how could you know the military hear about your work if you were just talking to your close community but now you know anybody can see anything and people are being arrested for what they post on social media mm-hmm. that's right it's kind of a two-edged sword in that it can be really beneficial and really helpful for people to communicate with each other to know what's happening then um, at the same time yeah as, as you said uh, it, it can be a situation where someone posts or even someone from the outside posts what one of the church planters did mm-hmm. and they can find themselves in hot water or being arrested or something. And so, um, you know, those situations aren't unheard of and really any creative access country that you talk about, that's, that's that balance you walk of how to utilize all the tools at your disposal, but how to do those in a way that's, that's safe and doesn't create um, challenges or security risks for the people that you're working with. It'll be interesting to see what lessons we need to learn and pay attention to in this process of what feels like steps backwards you know a a country that once was creative access that had been opening up more that's now um from a certain vantage point you know taking steps backwards what are things that we need to learn uh in in order to keep engaging people with with kingdom news and and hope switching gears a little bit we could spend a lot of time talking about the history of myanmar that uncharted has but more recently in a way uh, Uncharted has taken a new level of engagement in a part of the world uh, that we'll just refer to as Central Asia. Central Asia includes multiple countries and people groups. For the sake of our conversation, we'll just keep it that broad category. We've had a relationship with different people and organizations throughout Central Asia for the last 10 plus years, but more recently have uh, engaged in a, in a focused way. So how, how did Uncharted make connections in that part of the world? What does that look like for us? Yeah, the making connections part goes back uh, long before I was a part of Uncharted, actually, actually mm-hmm. before Uncharted even existed as an independent organization. But um, we 
we're under the umbrella of uh, of a local church is sort of a grassroots uh, missions movement within that church. And as part of that, uh, the group that was helping lead that at the time connected with a guy who was really gifted in going into impossible situations and hard places and and starting something, you know, finding a person of peace, finding a, a single believer even in a location and figuring out some way that they could partner together for the sake of the gospel. And so that's really how we got started as an organization in Central Asia. And what that has has looked like, the forms that that has taken, and that's changed a lot mm-hmm. over the years based on a number of, of different things. And um, the platform we have, the nature of the work, like I said, has changed. Um, but that's how we got started. I, w- I want to come back to the platform question in a little bit. So I think maybe moving moving away from Central Asia for a second, because I think we'll talk a lot more about it when we come to the conversation about our specific work in Central Asia. But Jeff, in your role, do you, as you think about the future of mm-hmm. Uncharted, um, do you have certain dreams or hopes in terms of future communities and the types of places? H- how does this topic of creative access countries shape what you hope for in terms of Uncharted's future work? I think at the end of the day, my my heart is to see Uncharted have the biggest impact we can have and and for us to grow in the impact that we're having and the people that we're partnering with. And so um, that means both going deeper in the places where we're already working and finding more ways that we can, again, make an impact, that we can partner with people, that we can see disciples made and church, churches planted and the local church thrive. In any way that we can, we can help with that. That we can support what's already happening. That we can start new things. Um, you know, I, that's what I want to see. It also means uh, going to new places, and specifically the types of places that that I mentioned earlier, where there aren't a lot of other organizations like Uncharted. There, there aren't a lot of cross cultural workers who are intentionally uh, trying to share Jesus uh, mm-hmm. by by being there, and where there's not a lot of Christian activity. And so it means going to those places. And so, you know, we have our own processes and even that that's evolving a little bit from, from time to time and place to place. Um, you know, we have our own processes for, for figuring out where to go and when to go. Uh, but the bottom line is that we, we want to be invested deeply in more places than we are now and more deeply invested where we're already working. One of the things that I think also is, is relevant when we talk about creative access and, and new communities is, one of the things Uncharted's passionate about is building up the local church and partnering mm-hmm. with indigenous believers and looking at new communities. I know uh, one place that has been explored is there, there just isn't mm-hmm. a local church. There are no, no indigenous believers that, that we've met and made a connection with. So not, not only is it kind of closed, but there's not even, at least in Central Asia, you know, there were people we could partner with, mm-hmm. but even in looking in new communities, sometimes it's just, there are, there are no connections to be made. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think it's one of the reasons why two simple terms that we use kind of internally here when we talk about launching new works is asking ourselves, is this a partnering or a pioneering work that we're going about? Sometimes it's a blend of both, um, but in, to exactly the question that you brought up or the example that you brought up, there is a location, God willing, we're hoping to launch into uh, maybe even later this year. And and there are very few, like we can count almost literally on two hands, the number of national believers in this country. 
And so the thought of trying to partner with them, it's probably pretty slim that there's the opportunity to partner with them. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, it is finding sort of those creative ways to pioneer new work, um, to pioneer new opportunities to build relationship, not only to build relationship with those national believers, but God willing to, to add to those number, you know, um, through, through whatever work or presence um, we're able to pioneer. And I think, so I think that brings up, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed about this podcast, whether we're talking about missions, missiology, or theology church is we've sort of unapologetically embraced this, this ethic of let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to creative access countries and, and mission work in creative access countries, probably one of the elephant in the room uh, that exists with this is this this idea of platforms, and I I'm curious to hear from you guys just in the whatever level of research or digging or reading and prepping for this. What did you guys discover as this? Like what what's a, why is this a loaded term? Why can this be a loaded term? This idea of platforms, um where where there could be a lot of positive things about it a lot of good um what could be some of the harm and um, i guess i'm looking at you emily first to see <laughs> what uh you know as you've been doing reading and prepping for this podcast um it's not that the word platform or concept is all bad but what are some of the things that we need to be aware of where can some of the harm lie in terms of this and certainly want to hear your thoughts and then and then jeff add I actually just read an article from Missio Nexus, which is a mm -hmm. missions resource organization. Mm -hmm. um, and we can link that in the in the show notes. But it was talking about platforms, essentially, and especially dif the difference between a platform and going into somewhere as a, a tent maker, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a very Christian-y way of saying, like, you just move, move to a country and get a job and just live there. Yeah. You know, not necessarily as a missionary, just as a, a business person or whoever. And some of the arguments ag against platforms, they, they kind of come from all sides of, of any kind of Christian spectrum because some people can claim a, pl a platform is dishonest. Um, you know, you're, you're lying your way into a country. It's a cover for you. And that can mean the, the platform you're using, they're, they're usually some sort of humanitarian aid, um, whether it's a medical, some sort of hospital or um, a child ministry, something like that. And if you're not really invested in it as, if you see it as a platform and not as your purpose, then it's really easy to not do a good job mm. um, and to not care about it because it's not really why you're, it's not really why you're there. Mm. But another argument against platforms kind of from the, the other direction is you spend too much time on your platform mm -hmm. and you do it too well. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly it's all about the, you know, the age you're giving, it's about the hospital you're running and not at all about discipling people. Yeah. It becomes the tail that wags the dog, as they say. Yep. Jeff, well, I'd be curious from your perspective, what would you add to that or, or expound on from what Emily said in terms of elephant in the room, this idea of platforms, when can they go bad or what are some of the dangers or things like that? Yeah. I think that's a, it's a great question. And one for the conversation we're having, that's, um, that's pretty important because I've seen both the quote unquote platform that's, that's operated really well. And, and 
in my mind, what that means is that whatever the face of it is, is done with excellence. It's not mm-hmm. done as a shell company or as some fake entity that just, you know, gets somebody a visa to be there. It's a legitimate uh, company. It's a leg- legitimate NGO. Like there, there's actual work that's taking place. That's quality that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, in addition to that, it's also serving, it's giving the people who are part of that, who, who are believers, the opportunity just to build relationships with people through their everyday comings and goings. And so, you know, if they're running a, a coffee shop in a creative access country, for example, they're running that business to the best of their ability. They're running it as a legitimate business. It's not fake. They're actually yeah. serving coffee and they're serving <laughs> the best coffee they know, they know how to serve. And as they do that, they have employees who are, are local people and some of them might be believers, but a lot of them aren't. And, and they're, just again, in their everyday comings and goings, as they run their business, as they manage staff, they're doing that in a way that honors God. Mm. And in some ways can even be seen as cross-cultural. You know, if, if culture says it's okay for me to yell and scream when you make a mistake, but then you notice that, well, you did something really stupid by accident mm. and I treated you differently. Well, that's immediately, it's an opportunity for you to ask, well, why, why didn't mm-hmm. I get yelled and screamed at? And Again, just for that platform, for that coffee shop to be used as a tool for ministry mm-hmm. in very authentic ways. I think when, when you're able to do both of those things, you've done a platform well. Mm-hmm. If, if it ever feels like, well, I have this thing that I don't really want to invest myself in, well, you probably shouldn't be doing that mm-hmm. thing to begin with. So in, in Central Asia, we very much have a platform as a way of going. Right. And I think um, not not only is it it speaks to Uncharted's vision of doing holistic missions and doing it well. But I think because of the location, I I think it'd be really, really hard for a Western person, an, an American to go over there and just set up shop as, you know, as a quote unquote tent maker. Yeah. Someone who just wants to move to this place and, and live here. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think platforms like you're saying, Jeff, they can serve multiple purposes. Like it's important to do them well. And they're they're important as as a means of access. And you you kind of talked about this a little bit about how a platform can lead to gospel sharing or discipleship. Um, and I was wondering if maybe you could talk more about that, maybe specifically about how we can see that working in Central Asia. Yeah, a couple of ways. Uh, one is based on the needs that are there. Um, we have education-based uh, programs. You, you can call them platforms if you want. And and those are real programs. We want them ran well. And so we've essentially, we've identified that there's a significant gap in educational opportunities, especially for certain groups of people, uh, certain demographics, socioeconomically. And, and so we're running uh, programs that create opportunities for them to have a better future, to, to be educated, to um, hopefully get jobs after the school portion is finished and provide for themselves and their families in a way that, that just wouldn't be possible otherwise. And so those programs are ran, I, I believe, truly with excellence, and they are ran for the betterment of the people uh, in that country. In addition to that, uh, that's part of our motivation for being there is we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, to use that term. We, we want to serve people well in a way that's needed. We also want to see people impacted by the gospel of Jesus. And so that's not our, our, our ulterior motive, um, but it is part of our motivation for being there. And so we would not be doing what we feel called to do if that wasn't a piece of what was happening. And so we, we feel a lot of 
Um, I, I think healthy pressure to utilize the platforms, to utilize the programs in a way that allow for interactions that lead to people coming to know and follow Jesus. And so part of how we organize the programs, part of how we hire staff, um, part of how we strategize is built around, okay, as we're, as we're going and we're running this program and we're hopefully doing a really good job with it, and a lot of people are being impacted in a positive way by it, how are we also going to be intentional about creating, we call them gospel touch points. And so it's just opportunities for people who are part of those people in the community to, to rub elbows, to build relationships with somebody who's a follower of Jesus. So how can we can how can we increase those? How can we be intentional about creating those opportunities for that to happen? This is another area where I think our concept and our language internally here at Uncharted about holistic missions is important again because I think the problem I have with the word platform isn't so much the problem uh, that others do, which is an understandable one of the whole like, well, it's a shell company or it's fake or they're not doing it well. Like I, I believe, I, I know us well enough to know that if we launch some sort of quote unquote platform, we're going to do it well, uh, at least to the best of our ability. I think where I struggle with it is just how there tends to be this division um, it's sort of like how we do the division. We've made up the division secular from sacred, you know, mm -hmm. it, it kind of feels like this for me. And, and that's what I struggle yeah. with is when we say the word platform, we automatically put it in this category of, okay, well that's over there so that we can do this, um, also. And to me, it's like, I struggle with a better word, but the only word that comes to mind is it's just a piece. Like it's one piece of uh, that goes along with another piece and um, having that holistic approach of meaningful gospel presence includes this, which also allows us the ability to do that. <laughs> and, and instead of breaking them apart, I think sometimes in the, in the mission world, um, I, I, I like to see them more as these integrated pieces that go hand in hand, acknowledging that one can very much overshadow the other and that that's a tension that needs to be kept in mind and, and guarded and, and have a sensitivity to. But that's where I struggle with the word platform is it's even if you do the platform well, it's, it's sort of like a, well, that's just sort of secondary to the, to the real thing. Mm -hmm. And again, looking at that biblical evidence of how Jesus's expression of the good news, the kingdom of heaven was so holistic. Um, how do you keep those in balance? Yeah, I think there is, uh, the, the whole balance thing I think is, is key. And there is, I think there needs to be a healthy tension mm -hmm. when, when you're wanting to see both of those things that I talked mm -hmm. about. You're wanting to see, you know, if you're in a country with a, with a lot of uh, physical material need, um, you know, humanitarian type quote unquote platforms are are a really great thing because mm. they they give you the opportunity to meet a need that is very real and very present. Mm. Um, it, it gains it gains you kind of the right to be heard in the community, the right to it gains you some standing and some mm. credibility. And it also gives you a great opportunity to build relationships with people and yep. share faith as just a natural part of doing that. And and I think when you see the platform as a means to an end, it creates this false dichotomy. Right. Just just what you mentioned of, well, we're only doing this so that we can really do this other thing. Right. And if that's your mindset going in, you're going to 
do the platform or do the program probably pretty poorly. Yeah. In the same way, the opposite can be true. Whereas if you, you know, you go in and you're like, well, we're, we're believers and we want to run a humanitarian organization and do the hands and feet of Jesus stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's fantastic that, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are plenty of believers who don't necessarily specifically have gospel sharing on their mind when mm-hmm. they go and serve somebody. And I'm not dissing that. I'm not saying that right. that's wrong, but there are a lot of people who go into a creative access country with the goal of making disciples and they're using a business or using humanitarian platform to do that. But so much energy and time and money is invested into that, that it kind of takes over and they never actually get around to the disciple making mm-hmm. part. And so I think that's a way of, of kind of erring on that side. And so there, there is sort of this tension of keeping two really important, really good, really healthy, really positive things um, properly balanced. Mm-hmm. So in thinking about going on trips to a, a creative access country or sending people, I think the biggest concern most people have is fearing for our personal safety, mm-hmm. which is a very real thing in some of the places where we work and where other organizations work. So how would you how would you address those fears that people have when it comes to, you know, I can't go there because I might I might be killed? I think that's a real fear. Um, and it's understandable. And, and I think my answer to that would differ a little if you're talking about somebody who's going somewhere for, you know, a week or two weeks or something like that. And and somebody who's going for a longer period of time, they're able to really invest. And on one level, I think, you know, Matthew 10, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves mm. and therefore be as wise or as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And that that verse weighs heavy on me when I think about what it means to work in dangerous places and in create in a lot of creative access places. And if you look at the early church and you look at the way even it played out, th- those words played out in the New Testament. Um, the disciples and countless others were most of the disciples and countless others were martyred, and we see that throughout church history. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't afraid of being the person that God called them to be and doing the work that God called them to. And they paid the ultimate price for it. But at the same time, you you look today at parts of Africa and you see this thriving, healthy, um, just incredibly powerful church that's worth celebrating. And that wasn't the case, though, 100 years ago. But what allowed that to happen is hundreds, even thousands of missionaries from other parts of the world who not only risked their lives but knowingly gave their lives for the sake of seeing the church take root in Africa. And if you look back at different things they did, you know, they they didn't always do it the right way, but I I truly believe for the most part intentions were pure. And so you have some cases even of people literally packing their belongings in a coffin um, Mm -hmm. as they left their life, as they left their families, they left everything they knew because they believed that their life wasn't worth more than the, the people that they were going to reach knowing and following Jesus. And so that was, that was a trade-off that they were willing to make even with their own life. And so um, that's not to say everybody, Hey, you know, go do the most dangerous thing you can do and say, you're doing it for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that, that, that's great. That's, that's not what I think Jesus means or what he calls us to, but the people who, who helped bring about the, the incredible revival and the incredible growth of the church that Africa has experienced, or parts of Africa at least have experienced over over the past hundred years, um, they they went anyway in spite of the risk, knowing the risk. They counted the cost 
and they chose to go. And so I think when we talk about going to these sorts of places and working in these sorts of places, um, you know, God doesn't call us to live safe, comfortable lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very countercultural in a lot of places in the world um, because we feel like, well, if, if we're really living for God and he's blessing us, he's going to keep us safe and comfortable and we're going to be happy as a result and we're going to have these things. And certainly, like those, God provides those things for us many times. Uh, I don't question that. But that's not the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And so God doesn't call us to live that way. Quite the opposite. He, he says, you know, things like anybody who mm-hmm. tries to save their life will lose it. And, and anybody who uh, loses their life for my sake will, will save it. And I don't think God calls us to be careless, but he also, he calls us to be driven by something higher than our mm-hmm. own comfort and safety or worldly success. Mm. And, you know, I think that to some degree is true, um, even for going and visiting mm-hmm. hard to reach places and being a support and encouragement mm-hmm. for people who are living in the midst of that situation every day. They're living as believers every day, fearing for their lives when they leave the house in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their reality. And so there's a part of me that says, I, I kind of hold that intention too, of uh, there's a part of me that's like, if I'm unwilling to even with certain uh, security considerations to, to go and be in a relationship with that person, man, at the same time, don't just go do something stupid because it's the mm-hmm. dangerous, cool, fun thing to do. And you feel like you get some, <laughs> you know, some, some brownie mm-hmm. points from God for it. Like X games, Christian version. <laughs> <laughs> that's well said. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. those are good tensions to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also can be really indicative of, of, a person's commitment to their their community and the people they they find themselves around. One of my best friends, her and her family, they're I guess missionaries overseas, and she says she listens to podcasts. So maybe we'll find out if she does. Hey, Hannah, what's up? <laughs> but they they live in a place that is is not necessarily dangerous. It's not not necessarily considered creative access, yeah. I would say, but is a very difficult place to live. Yeah. Currently, there's just a lot of unrest and government and the economy and most people she knows there are trying to leave they mm. you know they want to move move away and move on to bigger and better things um there are riots and protests she's she's said before she's like at some point we might have to come to a decision whether like am i gonna leave this place or is this my home yeah you know like the people that she is in community with her neighbors like they don't necessarily have the option to you know go back home when yeah. it when the going gets rough yeah. So, and they're with a ascending organization. The organization might say, might make the decision for them. Hey, you're not allowed to be here anymore. We're taking you, Mm. we're taking you out. It's a different kind of commitment. Like, yes, being willing to, to be in dangerous or risky places Mm -hmm. and also being willing to stay when it's just really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we move on to sort of the next and last subject, just a comment I would add is I think it, this highlights just the importance of our ability as followers of Jesus to, to have the maturity really to, to take the time and listen to what is, what is God's voice? What is, what is the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives saying to us more than anyone else? Because I think there can be so many voices that pressure us one way or the other in this particular realm where you could have this very easily, this over spiritualization, even, even I would say spiritual manipulation, you know, where it's like, 
well, if you were really good Christians, you would stay, you would stay in this really mm-hmm. hard place. And if you really love God, you would do this and sort of just like putting this pressure on people to do something or be something that maybe they shouldn't be, you know? And then on the other, on the other side of that as well, like, um, you know, ways people saying to you, well, like, why are you doing that? That's crazy. You're ridiculous. And, and it just either extreme, just highlight the necessity of our maturity and our ability to spend time really listening. God, what is it that you are calling me to do? What is it? And and that's where I think there's probably not one sort of clean cut answer to personal safety or should uh, international worker be removed from a situation or not? Or how does an agency respond to it? Like, it probably just takes a lot of individual listening to mm-hmm. the spirit. And what is it that you're calling me to do in this place? Yeah, I think I think it does. And, you know, I, I can certainly imagine a situation where somebody really needs to, to get out from where they are. It's just, it's not safe. Mm-hmm. It's not a good situation. They're not even helping anything by being there, at, you know, at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for someone, especially who's invested years and years of their life in a location, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to make that decision. And then you do feel all these outside pressures both ways to, mm-hmm. to do one thing or the other. And, and, you know, there's sort of this juxtaposition of on one hand, one of the, the biggest criticisms I have heard as I've gone different places and talked to, to national, to national believers about the presence of missionaries, there's this sense of, well, when the going gets rough, they always hightail it out of here and, mm-hmm. and we're left. Mm-hmm. And it can be a pretty powerful statement when someone stays in the midst of really hard stuff. At the same time, that's not always what they should do. And to, to your point, I think it, there is a lot of discernment that's required both on uh, on the part of the individual who's there or the family who's there, and potentially if they have an organization or a church back home that's helping send them, for them to also weigh the situation and hopefully come to you know to, to mutual agreement. But I think that's part of where the wise as serpents part mm-hmm. of that verse comes into play, where um, you know it's not that you take no precautions and no considerations. It's not that you just you know, like you said, over spiritualize it. And, you know, I'm going to, God's going to protect me. God may, mm-hmm. God may be calling you to stick it out through a really difficult situation mm-hmm. and he may very well protect you. Um, or you may just be totally doing this because mm-hmm. you feel, you know, on your own that this is something you just kind of have to do to prove yourself or to prove your worth to God. Mm-hmm. And it's not a healthy situation. And, and so I don't think it's a one size fits all sort of yeah. thing. And it really does take a lot of discernment. I think. One thing we have to address, we maybe didn't leave enough time for it as much as it deserves, but these these ideas around having moral issues about going into creative access countries, you know, there is maybe occasionally dishonesty or law breaking that happens. And I think really all of the questions around it can kind of be summed up in this wondering of like, do the ends justify the means when it comes to you know, lying on a visa application or smuggling in or out, you know, items of in a in or out of a country. When is breaking the law allowed for Christian? When is it sin and when is it not? <laughs> um, there, there's actually a really, really interesting story I saw the other day about a guy from uh, a guy in Israel who was accused of lying about being a rabbi for like mm-hmm. ten years. And people were saying that he was an undercover Christian trying to convert people. And 
there's this whole thing. I don't know what's true or what's, what's not, but kind of that, that idea that lying is okay if it's, you know, for Jesus. <laughs> you know, history is filled with examples of people who had to do the very difficult dance of trying to honor culture and follow local laws and also not compromise their faith. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not easy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've never been in that situation, not in any significant way, you know, maybe in a little ways, but never in a way that my life was on the line or, mm-hmm. you know, friends were, you know, under the threat of, of being thrown in jail or something, you know, to that extent. And so, um, you know, that's not enviable, but, but I think that that's worth acknowledging. And history is also filled with examples of people who did that really well, who, um, wouldn't let their faith be compromised. They wouldn't stand down from what they believe God had called them to do. That's not a, a carte blanche, easy built-in excuse to just disobey any law that you don't want to follow. That's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you know, I think as, as believers, we we're, we're called to render to Caesar. You know, what's Caesar's? We're called to to follow laws, to you know, all that kind of stuff. At the same time, we ultimately answer to to God, mm-hmm. and um, there are times when you know, if it's illegal for me to give food to my neighbor, um, is it better to give food to that neighbor and risk arrest and break the law or to say, well, you know, I, I'm just going to wash my hands of this. You know, my, my hands are mm-hmm. tied. I can't do anything. Um, sorry. And, and watch the neighbor starve for death. Well, hopefully in that situation, even to my own detriment, mm-hmm. I certainly hope if I was put in that place that I would have the guts to do something as simple as, as giving food to my neighbor, mm-hmm. e- even you know, under threat, even if it was against the law. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there are believers who are put in those situations mm-hmm. and it's often not a black and white cut and dried, yeah. um, easy to navigate situation. And so I think that's worth acknowledging. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there, there has to be a high degree of discernment for the person who is, is dealing with that. Who's mm-hmm. trying to figure out what do I do? What in the world do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sitting here in my, you know, safe, comfortable Western context, it's probably a little bit easier for me to give thoughts that are a bit more like simple and reduced and black and white. But I, I am recognizing and acknowledging in myself that there's probably way more nuanced scenarios or sort of like in the moment scenarios where my my morality might be challenged. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'd respond Um, you know, if, if I was in a dangerous situation and lying, if I, if I lied, you know, X person's life would be saved or Mm -hmm. X person would have access to the Bible or whatever. I don't know, Mm -hmm. um, is the answer for me personally. Um, I do think that just like, again, some of the, the reading and prep for this, I had never thought of the example of Daniel in the scripture in in scriptures as somebody who does who can be pointed to as someone who's living in quote unquote a creative access country. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the life and actions and behaviors and responses of Daniel through that lens, it's pretty interesting to see how he toes that line. And obviously, we have such little, um, you know, short glimpses of his life in captivity, but there are a few things that stand out. I mean, how he really did honor the culture that he was in. He spent a lot of time learning the culture. Um, he spent a lot of time 
you know, respecting and serving and coming alongside and helping government officials. And, um, you know, he wasn't on the street corners of Babylon bashing and, you know, bullhorn guy type, type guy, but he, he, he really came along and contributed in the ways that he could in honest and genuine ways. Yet we also know stories about Daniel's life where he stood up for his personal convictions and things that he valued in his faith and his relationship with the God that he served. And he didn't, he didn't, you know, pretend like he didn't serve God or he didn't, he didn't deny that. And, um, there were respectful ways in which he would go, go about, um, holding on to the convictions that he had in a culture that maybe, uh, was inviting him to compromise on those convictions. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really give an answer, but I do think that that's an example to point to, uh, in terms of how do you wade through a whole litany of different situations that could be really difficult, you know, that, that could provide like, okay, in this moment, what does it look like to respect my culture, to be honoring, to be, as Jeff said, a person of integrity in this moment. And also at the same time, not either or, but, and also hold to my faith and conviction and, and not be dishonest about the God that I, that I serve. So that's not really a great answer, but um, (laughs) maybe it's sort of an admission that, probably in the more severe creative places there there would be a lot of 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 nuanced sort of gray mm-hmm. moments in terms of my morality that I don't know how I'd react but I think one example that could help uh guide somebody through those is what would be the character of Daniel living mm-hmm. in that place of captivity yeah and I think it's also you know it is not an easy question to answer, I guess. And it gets even more complicated when other people, you know, the safety of other people also can depend on you. That's, I don't know. Have you guys seen the movie Silence? Not yet. And I have been, I've been intending to watch it and keep looking for yeah. it on platforms for free because I'm too <laughs> cheap to buy it. I have a four-year-old at home. And so the <laughs> thought of like two hours of of silence. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, well, probably not what the movie is, though. That's not what it is. And full disclosure, I've also not seen it, but I've read a lot about it as per my... Which is how Emily watches movies. <laughs> she reads okay, about them. Especially if like a big aspect of a movie is torture, I'm not going to watch it, but I'm highly <laughs> interested. Yeah. But it's about Jesuit priests who are in feudal Japan and kind of the story of their um, persecution and potentially i'm not going to spoil it for anybody potential martyrdom um but the, a lot of the movie is centered around you know getting these priests to recant um their salvation at the cost of mm. of you know japanese believers there you know they're the ones being hurt and tortured mm. um you know at at the cost of this and they you know kind of the whole movie is about you know silence from god but also just this internal struggle of how how much am I willing to to pay for my faith when I'm not necessarily the one who's paying it, um, and and there are questions in creative access countries now of like you know is is an increased presence of Westerners or Christians dangerous for for the community there and more dangerous for local believers and that's again there there's not a way to answer that and if if someone's in that position that's something they're going to have to wrestle with. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, missions and creative access is is bad or too hard to pursue. 
So as we wrap up here, you know, first of all, Jeff, I'm, I'm glad that you could join us for this podcast. And I think it's really great to have the experience um, that you've personally had just in your time with Uncharted. And I think that it's clear to all of us a commitment to recognize the potential pitfalls as we go into other creative access locations. What are the things that we need to be aware of? What are the tensions that we need to hold? And and yet also this excitement to, like one of the things I do love about that term creative access is the word creative and just the openness and the opportunity as we live out one of our strategic priorities of following the lead of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like for us to be creative? Um, in helping provide access to people to a holistic expression of the gospel. And so hopefully, you know, one of the things as I'm sitting here listening to us talk about this, hopefully in years to come, we can listen back to this podcast and we can celebrate all of the new locations and people groups and places that God has allowed us over the next years um, to express healthy versions of, of work and creative access locations. So Jeff, again, thanks for joining us today and um, helping guide this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me.